Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grow With Us. My name is Evan Barton, and I'm your host who helps create conversations with the innovators and leaders of a growing tech center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Grow With Us podcast highlights the work of community leaders, tech entrepreneurs, nonprofit professionals, and talent development advocates in Tulsa. Grow With Us is a podcast of In Tulsa, and Tulsa's mission is to connect talented individuals and companies to stimulate economic growth in Tulsa and to create more prosperous communities across the region. Each episode, Grow With Us discusses the growth of opportunities, the growth of communities striving for change, or the tech and innovation that is changing the landscape of Tulsa. On this episode of Grow With Us, we're in conversation with Ellen Hughes, the Director of Data Strategy for City Year Tulsa. We discuss her journey to Tulsa's nonprofit sector, three projects that Ellen manages and leverages for improving student success and partner schools, and how data can be leveraged from K-12 through to inform workforce development and opportunity creation. Welcome to the podcast, Ellen Hughes. I'm so excited for this conversation. It's been a long time coming, but welcome, Ellen. I'm so glad to have you here on Grow With Us. Evan, thank you so much. I am delighted to be able to chat with you. I know chatting outside around town whenever you bumps each other is always a joy. So very yes. happy to be here. Yes, I I kind of always start with a little bit of how I know you. And mm-hmm. I love I love the story of how we know each other because it actually is compared to some of the guests I've had on this podcast, I've known you a lot longer than a lot of other guests. Mm-hmm. We met each other in 2019. And we'll kind of talk a little bit about like you're still working with the same organization, but in so in such an expansive and and amazing way from where I met you in like where I originally met you at. And so we're going to get to hear a lot of that when you tell us your story. I'm super excited. So go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience and, and tell us your story in whatever way you feel comfortable. Sure. Thank you. So my name is Ellen Hughes, and I am somebody who is leading data work and problem solving in the social impact space here in Tulsa. I formally do that as the director of data strategy and analytics with City or Tulsa, the organization that I've been at since 2019 yes. <laughs> when we met. And I spend a lot of my time thinking about systems and networks of people and how technology and data bring us together to influence the decisions that we're making and how we're creating better systems to create equitable outcomes for people and just improve an overall functionality of our community. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. It's a really big question that I think I'm fascinated by. I moved here from Colorado nearly five years ago. So I'm hitting my five-year mark in July. Yeah. I know. I'm a Tulsan. I'm also a skip generation Oklahoman. My grandmother, I forgot about this until I moved here, was born in Enid and lived in Oklahoma City. So I kind of have a a connection like a little bit that way. She was always very proud to be an Okie. She was very offended when people had anything negative to say. So (laughs) that spirit still reigns true here. Yes. But yes, I grew up in Colorado, moved here about five years ago and have been loving it. In my free time, I spend a lot of time with my friends. I am very into painting at the moment. Love that. Yes, very into that. And I read a lot. She's well-informed is what she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I Hopefully. would I would say that too. Every time I have conversations with you, like I feel like I not only learn something about anything, because we literally can talk about anything and because I'm very interested in what you have to say, but you kind of you the way you tell stories your narrative is just really good it's it's really engaging and I can follow the three lines all the way through like I know how you get from one point to the other I don't know if you've ever been complimented on your vernacular or narrative but I'm just gonna throw it out there thank you I'm I'm so flattered do you have ADHD (laughs) because 
frequently when I'm telling a story, I'll jump from one thing to another and then circle back in here. But I think that's also something about me is I love to connect ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always thinking, I'm always trying to bring perspectives together and things that might people might not normally think about is going together. Yeah. And you do some cross-pollination with that. I think it really behooves you in your work a lot because like, I think, and I don't, this isn't, just shouldn't sound like a judgment of anyone that is in data or anything like that. But I feel like when you're a data person, you think about the data, you think about the numbers. And sometimes just when you're on that path, it disconnects you from what, where that data is coming from, who's contributing to that data, how the decisions that you make influence the way the data is re- re- received and also what you do with it after the fact. I don't know. I, I feel like you come into that conversation with such an interesting perspective due to kind of those, those, that ability to connect pieces of this thing from a social perspective, this thing from a, I understand how this educational Mm -hmm. system works and then they need to be brought together from data. So we're going to jump, we're going to jump into all of that stuff here in a little bit, which I'm really excited to talk about, but kind of tell us about Tulsa for you. It's been coming up on five years. I don't know. It's probably going to be a little bit longer. I don't think that you're leaving anytime soon. But tell us just how these five years have been for you. Yeah. So I moved here on a whim. I Tulsa was never on the radar, which I'm sure many people who moved here and continue to love being here say all the time. Mm-hmm. I was at a transition in my life where I had graduated from college and really did not have a clear idea of what I wanted to do next. I was managing a restaurant concept and I had so much fun doing that. But I realized what I really wanted to be doing was engaging with entanglements, you know, Mm. like complex problems. I like to be in opposition to difficult conversations or just challenging ideas that are like big. Right. And I like to be able to go from micro, like micro to macro perspectives within that nebulous sort of web of interconnected ideas and and problems and stuff. So I was really craving something more like that. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was like, you know what, let me just go launch myself into something that I have zero expectations of what I'm getting out of it. I had grown up, my parents did a really good job of teaching me the importance of community. Yeah, My mom, and we, we might talk about her later, I don't know. She did, she was a teacher for a really long time. So I have a lot of educators in my family and a, a deep understanding of why they love the work they do in yeah. education. So there was some idea that I'm like, while I have time and I don't know what else to be doing with my time, why don't I go serve other people? And why don't I just learn from that experience what it's like to connect with those people and, and solve problems, right? Yeah. And so that brought me, City Year just kind of came up on the radar. And it was more like at the time they were like, I could have gone to many different cities. I think I was considering going to Milwaukee. Okay. Um, and ended up here in Tulsa. You're welcome, Tulsa. <laughs> and... It was one of the most transformative periods of my life because all of a sudden I was immersed leading this team at Nathan Hale High School that came from all over the country. All of us had very different backgrounds. So like learning how you work with people that don't share a lot of the same knowledge or skills that you might have, but have their own great skills and perspectives and experiences that shape the way that they're coming to work was one of the most valuable things that I learned serving in that school. And so yeah. that was really, really wonderful. And then, you know, how the story goes, you like, you meet someone. So you stay a little bit longer. And then before I knew it, you know, Tulsa Remote was launching. And so I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with that community. And I think, right, many people now reflect on Tulsa five years ago and see how much growth there's been, like new yeah. buildings popping up all the time, new initiatives, new people. And it's exciting. It's energizing. It's, it makes you curious about what else is going on. How can I be involved or like, 
just like be with these people and chat with them. Yeah. And in the same way that Tulsa might be experiencing a renaissance, I feel like I am also just getting started. Like if Tulsa's getting started again, I'm getting started. I'm just getting started and I'm getting started with Tulsa and with those people that are also responsible for shaping the future direction of the city. And so yeah. that feels mutually supportive. I think everyone is capable of growth. And so to be able to experience that in a community where everything is growing rapidly, you get to see, like I've been able to see the way that you've been growing ever yeah. since you came back here. Other people um, like Tyrants Billingsley, who I served with in 2019 and all of the incredible work that he's doing now. Like it's, it's wonderful to be a part of a community that is inspiring because people who are, have interests and perspectives to share and passions are really encouraged to like follow those yeah. and build on them. And the community is like ready to support that. And so it feels very generative. I think my experience has been broadly very, very positive in that I'm always kind of just like sitting back and seeing all these things that are going on. It's a great show. It's a great show to watch, right? <laughs> I think also like I've learned a lot about myself personally. Like now that I'm like really into painting, like, oh, I love doing things with my hands. I love to have quiet time, like, trying something new. Yeah. So I've had opportunities to do that. And then I think also just I've been able to meet really incredible people that I'm so lucky to call friends. That's so I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was I was wanting to interject so many times that the first thing I will say is Tyrant's previous guest on Grow With Us. Hey, uh, there you go. He's been around and we, we so support the work of Black Tech Streets. I want to give that just a quick shout out. But I love that you kind of told that story in a way that like, you know, there, there's two things going on at the same time, your own personal growth and that's, then the city that you're living in. I love to think about, you know, geography mm. as it relates to where someone can start or stop doing something. For a lot of people, I, I guess if, I, if I'm going to use myself as an example, I know a lot of people felt like this, but when you're in high school here or, or you grew up in any city sometimes, I felt like, oh, well, Tulsa, the end of my Tulsa chapter is when I graduate high school and I get to go on to somewhere else. Leave and never come back. Exactly. And of course, I'm, I would not be here sitting. I would not be sitting here recording this podcast if that were true. <laughs> but this is like the ultimate form of Tulsa love. right Yes, now. <laughs> exactly. And I think that like where I was going with that mostly was just that, you know, it can those stories can intersect at intersect you at very different points mm -hmm. in your life. And like for me, Maybe my Tulsa chapter, it's just a chapter. It's not the whole mm -hmm. book. It's, mm -hmm. I might have, I might be starting another chapter in some, in some other town. And, and then I reflect on what Tulsa was able to give me and what this other place was able to give me. And, and there will be very clear differences. And I will see those differences in the way that I interact with the community. If I have a community at those mm -hmm. other, in those other cities, I know that mm -hmm. that's, that's a sentiment that's been shared by a lot of folks is that they felt like Tulsa was really just like an open arms place in, in a sense. And I think that's, I'm not going to say you're lucky to find that because I do think that it's very, po it's very possible in, in a lot of other cities. But just the amount of times I've heard it from folks that are here in Tulsa just is so encouraging to me. It's like, okay, well, I think we have something special. <laughs> and 100%. That, that's, that's always fun to hear and, and always hear the, the variance in how people find that little special thing from Tulsa. So I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that it's been a positive experience, a broadly positive experience for you. And um, it's going to hopefully continue to be so. And like I said, I'm just getting started. Just getting started. And just like that, I love it. Let's kind of talk about a little bit more about your work and, and sure. what, you've, what you've been doing professionally while you're here in Tulsa. And so I'm really excited to hear about your role at City Year, how it's changed, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I, when I met you in 2019, you were in your second year of service with City Year. Is no, that, just one. You were just in your one year, but you were already a team lead. Yes. Okay, that, yes. There's, there it is. Do you mind telling us, our us and our Grow With Us audience, a little bit about City Year, just more broadly as sure. an organization, and then also like what you do there now? Absolutely. So City Year... Uh, is a national organization that supports 29 cities across the country. So I work with City or Tulsa. And we partner with schools and school districts to work and support the students in schools to fill gaps that there might be there, right? We know that public education is feeling it, right? They're feeling it. And we go in and we use the power of relationships to connect with students and to encourage them in their work and to really help move them forward so that they're on track to graduate. We know that there's so many benefits to having a high school diploma, not because the diploma says, I know all these things and I'm ready to do this, but like having that type of milestone is important to send you off to do whatever it is that you're going to do, right? It's a major milestone and it's connected with all of these indicators about better health better communities, things like that. And we're not even talking about like workforce development, just like this milestone is associated with so many great benefits. So our organization we work with, we have actually several programs now. City of Tulsa is actually very much a mover and shaker within our network. And we are really trying to innovate and find better ways that we can continue to support schools and students. So the flagship program is the Whole School, Whole Child program, which is what you're probably most familiar with. Mm -hmm. You know, young people, 18 to 25, got these snazzy red jackets on. They're doing a year of national service and every day they're in their schools working with students, providing targeted intervention support, helping them work on math skills and ELA skills and social emotional development and attendance, right? Keeping them in school, like let's engage you. School's a wonderful place for you. They do a bunch of other like events and initiatives to really improve school climate. And so that's that's that program. We also have an early warning indicator program where teams of facilitators that we have, EWI coaches, will go and work with grade level teams of teachers to look at data that is flagging students that might be at risk because of like their attendance or their course grades, disciplinary experience, things like that, and come together to identify a champion that is going to be best equipped to go connect with that student and, you know, deliver an intervention. And it might just be like a small thing, right? It's not even that, but we're like, we're identifying those students that are in need of our support and are more importantly, in need of like having a relationship, a meaningful relationship with an adult in the building. Yeah. So we're doing that. We have the Network for School Improvement in partnership with John Hopkins University, Everybody Graduate Center. So we that program really looks at high level trends within a school and works with a team to create change ideas. Like, okay, what do we think the root cause is of XYZ outcomes that we're seeing in our school? This is what the data is saying. Let's brainstorm and let's try something new. Let's try to like, address this issue. And then over the course of the year, they'll do, it's an iterative process. It's a learning process that these people are then utilizing data. And, you know, also like, I think it's just important to say that everybody that's in a school building is very much like a relational knowledge worker. Yes. And everyone, everyone, yes, everyone, they hold so much information about like contextual information about students, other people, things that are going on. And like, like in schools, like the conditions can change in a moment. Yeah. There, it's like move. It's fast paced. So we'll get into like why that has like changed the direction that of data, right? Yeah. That I've kind of played a role in. But just wanted to, to name that while it was on my mind. Um, but 
Right. So we've got that program. And then we're working with the district to do some design work in the future of advisory spaces for students. How can we really cultivate spaces that are going to be rich in encouraging students on their next steps and figuring out what they want to do. So we're doing a lot of different things there. We are a really close partner of Tulsa Public Schools, and we as an organization really leverage the power of our own relationships with these people, not just with students, but with our partners to create impact and solve problems together. So that's kind of broadly our organization. That's amazing. Yeah, that was a great I I, the only thing and I'm I'm not even going to be very additive, but I want you to kind of talk a little bit about the age range specifically that you work with. So for students, yes. I'm, I'll am i let you explain or answer because I might not know. Oh, well, I'm like, I'm like uh, I've given this spiel a few times. Of course, I love that out. <laughs> yes, within the Whole School Whole Child program, Red Jackets, we're working with kids from third grade to about 10th grade. Currently, we I mean, we'll work with like seniors and we're in the building, right? Yeah. So we'll work with seniors and, and kids that are juniors and things like that. But Primarily, we're looking at that seven years of a student's life. And if we're working with you for those seven years, or at least in the building, right, that's where the magic's happening in our program, right? That's where we pick up. I think it's important to note, right, like some, we just did some longitudinal analysis. And what we found, and this was super high level, right? Like, I'm excited to dig even deeper. But we, what we saw from if you had been served by city year for one year, in your career, any point from third grade through like 10th grade, right? Yeah. If you'd been served once, your chances of graduating compared to peers that had like similar performance, 15% higher for wow. just one year. That's amazing. Now, if it's at least two years, it's 37% higher. Wow. Yeah. So also, I think it's, I, I didn't mention this city year. We're about to celebrate a 10 year anniversary That's here. Awesome. I know, right? Like, let's get ready for another 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so within that time, we've been able to say that, yes, we are having an impact on graduation rates and in supporting students and moving along to that major milestone. So it's super exciting to see. It's also what's very cool about this as well. What we saw was last year, 2022, nearly a quarter of all graduates from Tulsa Public Schools. So not even with the schools that we work in, just across the whole district. 25% 25% have been served by city or at least once in their career. Oh, that's awesome. Whether yeah. whether they've gone through like or been served at, at their elementary, then they might have might have changed schools and that school didn't have city or mm-hmm. programming. Then they might have gone to another high school that did have yep. that program. It's real. That's that's cool that you had that ability to kind of see that journey. Yeah. Them. And I think it speaks to the impact that our organization is having within our communities that we are touching so many students yeah. and helping them on their way to graduation. That's amazing. No, I really I love that explanation and that spiel, if you will. I think you really hit a lot of amazing, amazing points. I would be amiss, though, if I didn't talk about the other part of it, Yeah, which is like specifically with and I think this relates to a lot of the broader conversations that are happening in Tulsa right now around workforce development. Right. Yeah. Within the whole school whole child program, we have volunteers that are 18 to 25 years old that they maybe they're in Tulsa. Maybe they come to Tulsa to serve. And after that, you know, they're equipped to or are eligible for scholarships at TCC and OSU to like go on and pursue their education. Yeah. Um, And so there's so many incentives around how we're also building, you know, the future leaders within our community, which is super exciting because it's like it's not that we're just working with students. It's that the young people that are working with students are then continuing on to do amazing things within our community and leading in really, I think, relational ways. Yeah, no, that's such an important highlight, too, because I think that after high school, you're talking a lot about like graduating high school as the major milestone. 
it's a milestone. And then you jump into the next chapter of your life Mm -hmm. where the milestones are getting a lot harder to figure out what they are. Is it college? It's not necessarily college for Mm -hmm. everyone. Is it acquiring a full-time job? Maybe if you have the means or, or the skills. And so kind of Sit the the program, the whole school, whole child program, and with the, the city year core members, they're able to like use this time to feel supported by a community of other city year core members that are going through a similar experience. Mm-hmm. Maybe there there's some that are a little older, some that you might be a little bit younger, but you're seeing you're having this shared experience. Oh my gosh, the importance of a shared experience <laughs> is crazy because after high school, there are very few and far between like mm. shared experiences. I feel like, and unless you go to college, unless you, and I mean, they get, they kind of, the audience gets smaller and smaller. You can think about a shared experience, like a group exercise class. How often do you do (laughs) those types of activities as frequently as like school where you're there? Every day, every day, all the time, getting that opportunity to have a shared experience. I think after that major milestone is really an important time for, for someone to reflect and, and maybe get the space to figure out what their next step is, what the, what their milestone is, and they get to create it, which is super cool that I love. I love that element of the program. Absolutely. And I mean, I personally benefited from that as well. So I strongly recommend if you are listening or you know someone that is 18 to 25 years old, send them to cityr.org and have them apply to serve with CityR. Amazing, amazing plug. <laughs> So when we we reconnected recently and, and had an amazing conversation at, uh, I think, one of our both of our favorite places, Hodges Bend, mm-hmm. uh, shout, out, shout out, shout um, out Hodges Bend in the East Village of Tulsa. And we had the opportunity to kind of talk about what we're doing in each other's lives. And, and you were able to tell me like a lot of this amazing programming, programming that you're working on within your role. And so I'm really excited to kind of dive a little bit deeper in that. I know it's going to some some keywords that are going to be mentioned here. Data, Ooh, community, love, impact. Absolutely. Let's hear about your new programs and, and what you're really excited about right now. Yeah, I would love to. So my experience in the core, right? And I, I did a little bit of work in, in college with data, mostly like statistical analysis. And I thought that was so fun. Yeah. Struggled hardcore with coding, but like still <laughs> fun, right? And... When I came to City Air, something that they talked a lot about was like, and we're, we're trying to use data to inform what we're doing. And I'm, I like was looking around and I'm like, oh, there's a lot of work to be done here. If we're trying to use data, like we have so far to go. Yeah. But like I said, I love a problem. I like figuring <laughs> something out. I like building things I, like that are new and like feel important that are going to have impact for so many people. Yeah. So following that year of service where I started to very intimately understand, you know, people in school buildings are these relational knowledge workers that spend a lot of their time trying to track down information Yes, when they could just be spending that building relationships with students and, and their colleagues. Right. So that was kind of a foundational piece to my thinking. And I also like, I love to think about schools and like our communities as networks, right? Everyone is plugged into this network in some way. And so having information that reflects human experiences shared experiences, yeah. like you're saying. Having data and technology that feels meaningful to that is really, really important. So when I came on, they hadn't had a full-time data role yet. And they created that opportunity. And I took that challenge on and was like, the first thing that we're not going to be doing is spending all of our time on like compliance-oriented reporting yeah. for data. What I thought was most important was democratizing access to information 
centralizing that information to give it to frontline workers, right? In a lot of organizations, depending on your level of data maturity, right, people higher up the food chain, so to speak, might want that data and request that data or utilize that data before people that are on the ground, especially when you think about social service delivery and nonprofits and the innovation curve. They're pretty far behind everyone else in adopting solutions that are really helpful for, for a myriad of reasons, right? And I also kind of wanted to interrupt that in my work and being like, no, frontline workers deserve access to information that's going to make their job easier. And my theory there is like, then we're going to have better outcomes working with students, right? So started doing that. Fast forward to now we have a data team with three people. Shout out to Imran and Mary Beth. You guys are amazing. (laughs) Keep up the good work. And we have built out systems for all of those programs that I that I talked about previously. We went ahead and created our own data system called DISCO, Data Informed Student Collaboration Operator. Has a cute little dog with a DISCO like ball on his collar. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Gotta make it fun, you know? Yes. And and so what we did, we started, we created something where core members could collect the data that they needed to collect that was meaningful to them in their interactions with students start to do analytics on it to show them, oh, you haven't been able to see this student in like a week. And we know it's really, really important, especially within a lot of these structured targeted interventions of students that you need a high level of frequency and contact with these kids. So let's go find them and let's have a more structured approach to prioritizing and understanding and identifying student need. And so now core members are set up to do that. Our early warning indicator program is using data that is flagging students in the data as the information is coming online, so close to real time, and is helping us with the goal of right student, right intervention at the right time, right? That's what that's all about. Yeah. So we are kind of just set up now operationally to be doing things a lot more efficiently. It's really enabling a different kind of collaboration that people haven't previously been able to experience. And so we've been supporting people with that learning curve, that change management aspect of it. Uh, we've heard a lot of really good things. I think people like using data. Yeah. Data is fun. So we've been able to do that. And now what we're looking at is, you know, like as far as I'm concerned, that's just generation one of the tools that we're building. Yeah, V1. V1, absolutely. We're always testing and learning. So the next step is kind of looking at what does it look like to create systems and tools that allow us to have a better picture of how our organization is impacting students alongside other organizations. Mm. How do we start building a network here in Tulsa of organizations that are positioned to be leveraging data and collaborating together to advanced outcomes across the board, even though I know that you're a specialist in a different type of data that I'm not familiar with? How do we start building more like community level early warning systems that help us better understand, like, for example, attendance? We know that attendance in schools is highly related and predictive of high school graduation. It is one of the hardest things to break down and and understand how you work with that, right? Yeah. But you know what? I think there's probably some other information out there that's going to help us do that better. Let's go find that and what that is. And so, I mean, also, I love a coffee shop like we talked about earlier. (laughs) Um, You can probably find me at Triangle on any given day. (laughs) And having the opportunity to like really try to like wrestle with these deeply entangled challenges that our community has is like an honor and privilege. I love doing that. And there's so many other committed people in this community that are also trying to figure that out. Yeah. So a lot of my work now is thinking about what are the future of really community-oriented, human-centered data systems that help us build a more equitable 
future for our students and and Tolson's everywhere. Ooh, I love that. I love the way you just framed that. I, I there's so many things I want to jump in and talk about because um, lots of things to react to. I love. Let's go to the deep end. The the deep end for me is really related to what you just said about the importance of non-siloed data infrastructure and accessibility. Mm-hmm. Like, for you know, not necessarily in my work right now, but I I just I find what you're mentioning about like the data literacy also being a challenge for organizations. And you're talking about an organ, an educational organization. And when I think about schools and, and my parents, also educators, like thinking about what kind of access to data they had. And this goes back to democratizing the access to data. It's so, so important because there's all these little touch points in, in a child's and student, their journey in college, You've, or not in college, in, in high school, elementary and middle, all of the K through 12 system. And I think that, like you're saying, being able to look at that in the macro and the micro details, being able to share like the predictive outcomes or the predictive, essentially like indicators, um, mm-hmm. the early warning indicators, all of those things are so, I, I think that every educator would benefit from having access to that data. It's not just something that city year is going to be able to use to make all of the city year students look better. It's like, no, we're, we want to share this across the district. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. want this to be something that is not only for kids that are lucky or privileged to get a, a city or program at their school. I, I feel that passion and that desire to extend that service um, in the way you're talking about it, which is, is how you create equity. It's basically how like, you don't create these, these amazing secondary programs or these supplemental education programs that are only for one group of students based on geography where they live, because that's where that's how our school systems are set up in in the city where, you know, you go to the school near where you live. That can create an inequitable student outcome by having access to a certain type of program. And the desire for these organizations to have that, I would say, awareness that their ability to serve is a privilege to the student is really, really important uh, on a very broad level, but also like when you get down to those numbers that you mentioned about, you know, if they had any year with a city or program, they were 15% more likely to reach that, that major milestone. And so how do we share that? I guess like it's how do we share that outcome, even though the program doesn't necessarily exist for that student, we want that outcome to still be just mm-hmm. as good for the other students. So it's just really interesting. It's I'm getting into the weeds with you about these entangled problems because they are so entangled. It's mm-hmm. it's attendance, it's interpersonal relationships. I love mm-hmm. the way you framed that about how talk to me or the the knowledge workers that everyone at a school is essentially an emotional and what how did you frame it? A relational knowledge relational worker. knowledge worker. Because um, when I think about the relationships that I had as a student with adults in the building, in a lot of ways, up until high school, those relationships were with teachers that I like admired. These are people mm-hmm. that these are people that I see on a daily basis. And they're teaching me something that I either maybe hated <laughs> and, and got the space and grace to react in a way that, you know, was maybe formative for my growth, or I loved the subject. And I got to do that as well on the other end of on the other end of it. So I think where I'm essentially going with that is like the power of relationships and it's not just the numbers that the data collection tools mm-hmm. generate. You really get to see the ins and outs of predictive behavior, student outcomes. All of those things are so, so important to 
not only the school system, but then how they're going to enter the world. So a hundred percent. And I think, you know, we've got good news here. We have a wonderful partnership with Tulsa Public Schools. Yeah. Like they are in the weeds with us as well as we're figuring these problems out. And that's the other great idea about, you know, networks is ideas spread. Ideas and technology spread. If it, if it's good, okay, let's see if it let's test to see if it works over here. Right. And so mm. we're on the path, right? We're on the path. I think also something that I'm also wrestling right now in my own work and thinking about the future of data and technology. And I mean, right, like I'm tracking all the news about AI and which is exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. And it I also like am reflecting on that deeply because what we know right now, like a lot of right predictive algorithms can be can have harm. They can introduce harm mm -hmm. and not necessarily benefit, which is not what we want to do. There's a lot of value in what you might call street data that educators and people in the building are super familiar with and process all the time and are really, really important to the interpretation and valuing of like the data that we might be providing in some systems, as well as right research, like all of the work that City Year is doing is evidence-based. So the ABCs, attendance, behavior, and coursework, right, we can measure those really, really well. What we can't measure that well, which is now what a lot of, you know, you know, thought leaders in that space are thinking about are like the new ABCs, agency, belonging, connectedness. Mm. That's a little bit harder to measure. Oh, yeah. Um, Where do you start? <laughs> right. And but I think that's part of how do we build. You know, systems that share information that are based in the values of I see you as a person and I want the best for you as a person. And I'm trying to use information to solve those problems alongside you, not at you or anything like that, which is a great stance. And I think like moving forward, right, there's a huge opportunity for any nonprofit or any other service oriented organization involved in service delivery, right, to be thinking about data in different ways. Like there's, of course, ways that we can operationalize systems that make them better and more connected. And then there's also the thought process of how do we start using data in interesting ways that helps us better identify problems ahead of time yeah, and, and use it in those ways that really allow us to keep intact what's really important, which is you and me sitting right here having a conversation. Yeah. I would love to kind of jump into very related to what we were just talking about, but I feel like you're going to have an amazing answer to this question. Mm. How do you think measuring data in the K through 12 system can help influence student outcomes? I feel like this is the big brain broad question for why you do the work that you do and why you're excited about it. So I, this, is a, this might be a challenging question, but I just want to see what, you, what you've got. Hmm. I think I have two thoughts here. One, there's certain things that are going to be important to measure and there's certain things that shouldn't be measured, right? Using data is about what is relevant to the task at hand, what is most critical and important and, and valuable in that way. And, and not all data is, honestly. Like the datafication of everything is, I think, a pitfall mm -hmm. that in, in the race to maybe build an organization that is data driven or whatever you might fall into. When it comes to education and thinking about how do we improve outcomes and what is the role of data in supporting that and measuring that, I'm thinking about one, our organization has been able to because we built up a data capacity been able to look and be like, okay, how well are the students that participate in our program and are enrolled on the focus list? 
how well are they doing compared to peers when it comes to graduation rates or like dropout rates, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And we're just scratching the surface. Like we can start looking at, okay, how much time do they have? The frequency, like all of these other things. When did they enter this? What else was going on in their life that when we responded made this successful? So we can just keep going, drilling down and uh, like utilizing some more data science and stuff to come up with some answers around what are great thresholds that we should be aiming for? Or what are other learnings that we can have? I think the big opportunity like in looking at outcomes is learning. And yeah, like I, how much a student is learning the capacity, like maybe explain that a little more for me. Um, not the student, actually, more so like as a practitioner mm-hmm. or an interventionist or someone that is thinking through strategies to support students. How can we use data to learn? Yeah. Which is maybe a luxury for organizations if they're trying to do data at like a, a low level and then like move to like operational stuff. And like you're as you keep moving up, your opportunity for learning is enriched. Mm-hmm. And so I think a big opportunity that for that is just learning as a person, being able to have data that you can ask questions to and get answers to. I think the other value of thinking about student outcomes. And, and measuring that is the fact that you really are identifying students, like, like let's say if we're using like early warning indicators or something yeah. like that, you're creating technology that's better and better at catching people and moving us towards preventative care yes. in our communities. And I think, right, the more and more that we can learn and then create these different systems that help us identify the right moment that we need to intervene and what is the right intervention in the right person and that is really, I think, a rich area for us to explore because then, you know, right now schools used to be like, okay, maybe 15 or 20 percent of students had these EWIs that we needed to pay attention to. It's flipped. now. Yeah, it's so flipped. So how can we start earlier on locating the information to identify when we need to intervene? And then also based off what we're learning about how students, the education landscape is so different now. I was just at a conference this week and had the the opportunity to connect with educators from Jacksonville, Florida and from Milwaukee and hear about their experiences. And many of these people have been in the classroom for 20 or 30 years. And they're like, it wasn't the same 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago. Yeah. Pre-COVID, post-COVID. Totally uh, different yeah. ballgame. And so we do want to use data and outcomes to help do that problem solving for people there in those spaces, but also recognizing like, oh, we might not need to start thinking about this differently. We might need to start predicting what needs our students have and identify those needs so that we can start planning for them. Yeah. Can we do that? I don't know. Let's find out, right? So I think that would be my response. I don't think I'm as interested in, you know, installing algorithms that are predicting whether or not a student's going to graduate just for the sake of uh, monitoring the status of a school system or anything like that, because that's not super, that that takes us a little bit further away from belonging and relationships and things like that. So I definitely lean on the side of more human centric uses of data like learning and, and then using that information to plan ahead and reflect on our own practices, what needs to change and do problem solving. And I think at the heart of things, I, I'm a problem solver. I love solving a problem, something that's entangled. So I'm probably also very biased in my answer. I'm sure there's somewhere, someone else that might be thinking on this that would have a different answer, but that's, that's how I'm thinking about it. I, I love it. I think, it's, I think it's a really great way to think about it. I want to touch a little bit more on your second point, kind of about the, the importance of data 
for catching early warning indicators. Mm -hmm. If I just think about, if I take a second to put myself in, you know, an eight, nine, 10 year old's brain for a second or their scenarios, it's really interesting to me. And and maybe, maybe I'm just taking a bird's eye view on their situation. There's so many things that could be going on. If you think about their identities that they have, and, mm-hmm. and I know that that's something that is definitely considered within the data. If we're talking, mm-hmm. I mean, demographics mm-hmm. are, are huge for data and predictive models and, and all of those things. And, and I think that, unfortunately, a lot of data is not on the side of, um, or a lot of data is used to, I don't know if this is the right word, but like essentially villainize um, and target communities mm-hmm. um, and, mm-hmm. and almost like hold up a mirror and say, people with this identity you guys know that your students are, are, have a, eight, I don't know, eight out of 10 chance of ending up with this outcome. That's obviously, or that might not be like graduating high school. It could be ending up on a wrong path or something like that. I, that's how I have seen, or I feel like that's the way that a lot of this data is politicized, mm-hmm. is that students with these identities or these early warning indicators of, you know, like them cutting class, not going to school, or them failing at, failing a one, grade or or one class that you know like let's say it's math and that person that student might be like an actual mathematician one day one of these days but just because of the other outside factors that are going into their educational and learning experience they're not able to have appreciation for that Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of why i love love that point about you know using this is the the way to use data to not necessarily solve every problem for that student. I mean, at, at the end of the day, there are certain things that are within our, our, our realm. And I say our realm, more so like your realm and then also like within the school's realm of like influence, if, if we can create that. But I think what I'm, I'm trying to get at is, is like you're saying, creating this network, these strategies that allow for a student to at least be given another chance um, instead of like, oh, you have these indicators and people with your same background end up like this. Mm-hmm. Why, why do they have to do that? We can, if we can use data, we can use this connected care model that we're kind of talking about that is data informed, we can start to influence outcomes in ways that we didn't even know existed. And th- that's the, that's like the dream, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> but it feels like the, oh, like every student is going to get you know, or may- maybe not every student, but there are the students that have the, I guess, uh, makings of potentially be falling through the cracks. They're not going to fall through the cracks anymore. That's obviously the goal. We want nobody mm-hmm. to fall through the cracks. And, and we specifically don't want students that look a certain way to fall through the cracks every single time. And I feel like that is where that's, that's where I throw my politics and stuff into education because I see that ha- I see those same types of, I guess, like outcomes, or I see, I see those points being politicized or talked about or overemphasized. And it's really disheartening. It gives you such a skewed view on what's actually going on in a community and not dealing with the actual problems, which is that there's schools, teachers are overworked. Teachers need support staff. We need teachers in the school. Exactly. We need, yeah. pe- we need relation. These kids need relationships with people. And unfortunately, that's not a guarantee in the home. And so I'm really diving in deeper to like the socio emotional part of it, because like as much as school is about learning, it's also where students spend the majority of their day 
building relationships with their peers and building relationships with adults. And if if there is something preventing either of those things, who can be there to help? And how do you know which student to help? And it feels like what you're what we're kind of getting at, maybe a little bit roundabout, but is that data data can help us get there. Data can totally help us get there. And I think it's obviously very important to be like, there are flawed ways that other institutions or, you know, entities are using data to that cause harm. And the narratives around them are not helpful either. And they're, they're kind of shaming of people and they're reflecting the racist and classist issues that are in our communities. Yeah. The reason the data is flagging that way is because of like our own bias. Yeah. In the infrastructure ways. we're operating in. And we have to be so aware and careful yeah. of that, you know, and but exactly to your point, like it's important for us to be identifying when a student has a need or a young person has a need and meet that need or close that gap. Yeah. And that's what City Year is doing is we're going into these schools and we are building those relationships with those students to give them the confidence and the the support to learn and to have an experience that feels meaningful in their day and throughout, you know, hopefully their their whole school experience. Yeah. And we're consulting the data to be like, okay, who might need a little extra care? Who might need, okay, they need a little extra care. What type of care do they need? What type of intervention is going to be best for whatever need is presenting? And yeah, I think it's really exciting. That's happening yeah. in a classroom level. It's happening at a school level within like our school district. Like there, we are moving towards finding different ways of supporting students. And also because we have to. Yeah, We're at a juncture where it's like, you know what? We just have to figure these things out together. And I think data is an extremely helpful tool in that space. So I'd love to kind of round out our discussion with one last question that I really want to, I'm going to, of course, challenge you again to, mm, to, be, re- challenge. to be reflective <laughs> and, and maybe a little bit vulnerable. Um, mm. And I will also share as well. In your lifetime, who has inspired you both professionally and personally? And how do you see yourself engaging in community with these folks if um, you, there's a personal relationship with them? I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts. This is a, this is a deep one. That's a beautiful question. My so there, I've got two things that immediately come up. One, and just like on the topic of like, how did I even end up wanting to be in like a social impact space and working for an education organization? Right. My mom, Lisa. Love Lisa. She was an educator for over thirty years. But I think what was most inspiring was she taught at a school district that was, um not in our county mm-hmm. and was much more resourced. Like it was, it's like one of the most well-resourced school districts in the country. Yeah. And then there was our school district when we're in a, a rural community. And I got to see her twice really lead grassroots work to pass a mill levy to get us a little bit more funding for books and technology and a roof and all those other things at our schools. Right. And she was so crushed by the second time because whatever was on the ballot lost by like less than 100 votes. Oh, wow. So close. So close. Um, But fast forward 10, 15 years later, something even better passed. So like being able to see that she was laying groundwork for something that ended up becoming successful later was really inspiring. And also I think 
instilled with me like a huge appreciation for community, the health of communities and wanting better for everyone in a community. So like, it makes sense that like I'm inspired by that. That was really awesome. Other people that have done that, right, is like Alice Waters and uh, the way that she started the farm to table movement, Jane Jacobs, like we talked about that a little bit before the podcast where she you know, protected Greenwich Village from a road cutting through it uh, to save, like, the community, you know? Yeah, the sanctity of a community. The sanctity of a community. Like, it is someone's right to be able to walk through this park to go have coffee with their friend. And that is something that I resonate with a lot. (laughs) Um, Two of my favorite things, going to a coffee shop and chatting with a friend, you know? (laughs) Also, just, like, now that in my own life, I'm exploring more artistic outlets, like Georgia O'Keeffe and Frida Kahlo. And their pathways through exploring art and like kind of just like doing their own thing, being really authentic to themselves is something that I think I'm learning. What does it mean to be authentic to myself? Yeah. Like, what does that look like now? Like five years ago, that looked a lot different. Yeah. Um, And so it's a different sense of self entirely. And so I think, you know, that's something that I'm not like working on. But I'm experiencing is yeah. that I'm changing. And so I think back to your question, like those people have really inspired me. I've been really inspired by women yeah. in my life. And also like within my own family, I think there's a large legacy of like all of these women that did different things that like were kind of out of place. So I'm like, I like back to my grandmother from Oklahoma her cousin was like one of the first female prosecutors in the state of Oklahoma. Mm. Incredible. Yeah. Aunt B was iconic, you know? <laughs> and so um, not to make it about like, oh, I just love and so inspired, but I am just inspired by people who I think go against the grain. Yeah. Um, hence my orientation towards like challenge and conflict. And like, I really appreciate that. And it's something that I think deeply has like shaped the way that I choose to be in this world. Mm, I love that. That was that was beautiful. And I, I appreciate you sharing that with with our audience because it is when I when I even like think about answering this question myself, I'm like the the names keep coming, you know, who has inspired me, especially when I think about like professionally, I, I think about um, I had a boss at the college board. Her name was Cassie Freeman, and she was very she was really involved in a lot of the work that I feel like you're involved in when it comes to like using data to um like using a big data like we were at the college board you're looking at national tests you're 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 working with such an interesting data set too you have such a big umbrella perspective exactly. on something yeah. yeah and and just thinking about the way that she never lost sight of like the students taking the test or the students contributing to the data like what the organization can do to impact that not only experience but the outcome of preparing for the test, taking the test and post the test, mm-hmm. how it impacted your future and all of those things. It was really inspiring to think about that kind of end to end, I guess, service model, especially mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. think about direct service. Um, and, and Something the, I'm thinking about every day. Every day. The experience of our core members looking at this dashboard, it needs to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's it's so cool to think about those people. I, I, I really want to challenge our listeners to, of this podcast right now to, to think about who's inspiring you professionally and personally. and um, are you currently or do you ha- currently have a relationship with them? Is there a way to f- build that relationship with them? Because um, it's really important to be surrounded by people that inspire you. Yeah. And I want to jump in yeah. and continue the love fest of Tulsa. I am so inspired by so many young people here in Tulsa. 
And, and by young people, I guess like people maybe around my age or, or younger and things yeah. like that. But I'm just so inspired by people also probably going through their own things and exploring their changing sense of self or whatever and really acting on whatever is it feels good yeah. to them. Like I'm going to name drop, like shout out to Colin and at all, like you are one of like that whole concept is something that I think really showcases what's beautiful about Tulsa and makes Tulsa special. And like, I feel so lucky that I get to walk down the street on Wednesdays and go and like say hello and, and also has built within it a community that's so appreciative of all those things as well. Yeah. Um, Like that's inspiring to me. I'm, I'm inspired by you, Evan. Uh, I'm inspired by you because also like when we met you, you were finishing up or about to be finishing up school. You were always so ready to be learning and wanting to like dig deep with people. So it makes complete sense what yeah. you're doing now. Um, I have a whole podcast about it. <laughs> yeah. But and and like now what you're doing now is also going to be shaping in the same way that I'm inspired by other people in Tulsa. Um, you are also doing work that's going to be shaping the experience of future Tulsans, current Tulsans right now. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it feels good too. And and if I can be an ambassador in any way about the Tulsa experience, I can really only tell you about mine, but I'm also giving a platform for other people to share theirs and mm-hmm. and how it might be able to look. While we're doing shout outs. Let's just, just keep it going. I know. We're, I'm, we're I feel gonna, bad. I didn't come with my list. I'm like, okay, let's go down the list. <laughs> we're gonna, I'm going to round us out with uh, one shout out and it's someone that inspires me in a very similar way to your shout out to Colin, but I'm going to shout out the folks at Studio 66, which is Carl mm-hmm. Jones and Chris mm-hmm. Vandehendi. They've made an amazing community for the queer folks here in Tulsa with um, the Studio 66 work that they've done. And I feel blessed to see uh, this community growing in the way that it has. And so I, I love that. I, it's, it's, it's so comforting to my personal spirit, my, my sense of belonging, my sense of agency and community to know that there are other queer people in the city that that exist and can come together for you know, silly things like the thing we're going to tonight called the Bimbo Summit. Like, I'm just Love so it. excited for it. Everything that comes from this org. Um, so special shout out to our Studio 66 organizers, Carl and Chris. Love them. And I love how you brought that back to like that ABCs because even as adults, those needs don't go away. My gosh. And like, no. you're right. Like the opportunities to have consistent experiences like that are harder to to encounter on a daily basis. And maybe that's my next data project. I need to get data to understand what are the community needs of adults that need to have fun and connect in Tulsa? <laughs> How do I build that data set and that, that analysis? That is a rabbit hole. <laughs> get ready. But I will be your guinea pig. Perfect. Um, Helen, it has been amazing. It's been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Is there anything that you'd like to plug, um, whether it's Anything you would, anything you want to plug? What if any, what if someone wants to get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm going to plug a few things. If you know someone between the ages of 18 and 25 and think that they would benefit from a year of service or might be interested in that opportunity, send them to cityor.org and have them apply to serve with us. We would love to have them. If people want to get in touch with me, I mean, honestly, there's a probably a a pretty good chance that if you just walk into Triangle on any given day that you might. (laughs) see me i mean i guess you might see the picture from the podcast so i I pretty much look like that all the time (laughs) but also if you're if you if you want to find me uh i guess LinkedIn. yeah Yeah, find me on linkedin ellen hughes director of data strategy and analytics and let's let's talk let's solve some problems together awesome thank you so much ellen thank you evan thank you for listening to this episode of grow with us 
Growthus is supported by Intulsa Initiatives. If you are interested in learning more about Intulsa services for job placement and workforce initiatives, please visit talent.intulsa.com. From there, you can join our talent network where you'll get access to our newsletter and our talent team will make sure to put the right opportunities on your radar. We put the choice to pursue a new career and opportunities in your hands. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to be notified when more episodes of Grow With Us are released. Let us know what you think about how we're doing by rating and reviewing. It really helps. Grow With Us is edited and engineered by Rant9 Productions and Jesse Ulrich. This has been Grow With Us. I'm a